Third John is an interesting conclusion to John's writings and his letters. You know he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote the Gospel of John to basically show us Jesus. That we would know who he is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him as the Son of God, God's Son who came into this world, took on humanity, died for us, rose again, knowing this about him, we in Jesus could have eternal life if we would believe in him. That's the Gospel of John. That's why he wrote it. He wrote 1 John because there were some who were departing from that essential truth. And it's causing great turmoil and confusion in the early church. And so 1 John confronts the error and it reinforces, it reassures followers of Christ, those who believe in Jesus, it reassures them of the truth of the gospel that they have believed. Then his second letter, a much shorter letter, second letter is to a particular church, and that letter he's, he's warning them, don't support those who are against the gospel. Don't help them. Don't encourage these deceivers who have departed from the true gospel of Christ and have gone in a different direction. You see, there were, there were those who went out from the church, as he puts it in 1 John, they went out from us because they were not of us. And then there were those who were sent out. And that's who 3 John is concerned about. 3 John is saying, okay, in, the se- in that other letter, I told you don't support those who are bringing a lie, those who are not telling the truth of Christ. Do support, do be careful about, do I- jump in with and help and assist those who are taking the truth of, of Christ to other people. So there were some who went out from the church, departed from them. There were those who were sent out by the church with the message of the gospel, also to confront and to contradict the error. Third John is to those who were sent out. Now, being sent out was not an easy thing. They were sent out trusting that God would provide, and the way that God would provide was by sometimes other Christians, other believers along the way. But you know, it doesn't always happen that we get the support and help and encouragement of other believers along the way. Have you had a time, have you had an occasion where you were discouraged in your serving? You had joined in a ministry in some way, you were giving yourself to it, but somebody else came along and was critical and found fault and pointed to your weaknesses in such a way that caused you to want to withdraw, pull back, throw in the towel. Why am I doing this? Have you ever been there? Uh, I, think, I think most of you are aware that my wife and I served for about a dozen years with a mission called Transworld Radio. Most of that time was in southern Africa. At the end of our first three-year term in a little country called Swaziland, you may not have even heard of it, it's a small country, about a million people and about a million cows. In the country of Swaziland, we had a large transmitter station, multiple broadcasts going out at the same time to all over Africa, as far away as Pakistan from that one location. And it, it was a big deal, and, and, and it was exciting to be a part of that, that the things that we did got the word of God to people that were far from another missionary, pastor, or even a Christian friend. And the word of God came to them, the gospel of Christ came to them. It was, it was, a, it was an exciting thing to be a part of. And in the last few months of that first three-year term, I was asked to take 
to take a responsibility for the overall transmitter station, to be in charge of all of the staff. And I saw that as an opportunity because I had come to Africa because I wanted to train local staff members, Swazi men who had gone to college for electronics. I wanted to train them in practical ways, qualify them to be technicians like the people who were coming as missionaries. I wanted them to be able to do that job that God had set for them right in their own country. They were wanting to learn it. I wanted to see it happen. So that's why we came to Swaziland. And to be in charge then of the staff and to be in charge of the station was the ideal opportunity for me to continue to advance that agenda. And so I did. We went on our furlough about four or five month furlough. We came back to Swaziland and just before I left I was asked to not, not the temporary role that I thought that was, but I was asked to continue in managing the station. Uh, the, uh, our, our field director thought everything was going just well and would I continue that? So I go on furlough, everything's good, right? While I was gone, there was a grassroots movement which was basically called Get Bob Out. I hadn't experienced that kind of opposition before. It, 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 it grew to the point that the entire national staff, the Swazi nationals who worked with us, and they outnumbered our missionary staff, the entire national staff said, we like Bob, we like Bob working with us, we don't want Bob to be our boss. We don't want Bob to be the, the, the manager, the leader, call it whatever you will. That was hurt was was hard for me to deal with. I, I know I didn't know what to do with that. It it was a a personal rejection of me in that role, and I was blindsided by it when we came back. It was one of the hardest. Um, well, certainly at that point in our lives, one of the hardest things that I had gone through. That kind of personal rejection of me in that role, and uh, because I I was there in the best of my understanding, in my own mind, I was there. I had given up much. I had left the Air Force halfway through to retirement. I wasn't getting rich as a missionary in Africa, but, but we were there away from our own family because I wanted to help these guys do work that they couldn't do, that other people were coming to their country at present to do, that they could do for themselves and advance the gospel. I wanted to help them take more and more of that work in their own hands. And it was being thrown back in my face, so it felt like to me. It actually stemmed out of two guys who were really on the leading edge of this training to be full technicians movement. But w one of them really wanted to just be in charge. The other one was insecure in his ability. He didn't think that he could actually do that, stand on his own abilities and merit. The other guy didn't think he should have to. But they then stirred up by their own concerns the rest of the team so that they begin in a group think-like format. And uh, it, was a, it was a tenacious couple of weeks once I had returned. Were we even going to stay? Was I going to continue to be the leader? Was I going to continue in that role that, and, and, and being able to train them afterwards? What was our relationship going to be? Hardest thing I've been, And yet six months later, I'm walking across the transmitter floor with one of these guys. His name was Abraham. One of the two guys who had, who had really instigated all of this, which was to me a personal rejection. And I'm walking along the floor with him six months later. I had survived. And he said to me, you know, you're a good boss. 
And it was just a personal conversation. There wasn't any politicking going on at that point. We were just discussing a new area that I wanted him to work in, I wanted him to learn and train into, because even after he retired, which would be coming in several more years, a retirement in Swaziland wasn't enough to live on. But what he would learn if he took over this area was something that he could continue to do in a little cottage industry after retirement that would continue to help his family and support his needs. And he saw that I was not looking out for my interests. I wasn't trying to just think of how could I get stuff done. I was thinking for him and what would actually be a good thing for him. And when he caught that, he, 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 he regretted. He told me later on, he said, you know, we, never, we, we didn't handle that right. And we never actually came back to you and told you formally the way we had rejected you. We never formally told you how grateful. Um, a few years after that, there were other crises on the Swaziland field. Swaziland seemed to be full of that. There was, um, my name came up. They wanted me, when we were coming back to Africa, they wanted me to come and be the field leader for all the Swaziland stuff, the offices, everything. I didn't do that, and I wondered, I've wondered years since if I should have. But it was interesting to see how that turned. That's the only reason I say that, is how that whole situation turned. But at the, at the moment, it was a sharp personal rejection. How do I continue doing what I think I'm called by the Lord to do? How do I keep continuing to do that in the face of this rejection by others? The same people that should have been a help and encouragement to me were the very ones who were discouraging and criticizing me, finding fault. And the problem with the fault finding is somewhere in there some of it's true. And so it just echoes around in your head that, yeah, I can't do this. I am no good. I might as well throw it in and let somebody else do it then. You ever feel like that? Third John has something to say when we feel like that. Because there will be times when somebody will fail you. Somebody you work with, maybe somebody you work for. Whether it's out in the world, whether it's in the service of the gospel. Somebody you work with, somebody you work for will will trouble you, will discourage you. What do you do when that happens? Well, the first thing I would, I would say, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and get, the first thing I would say, what you do when that happens is you keep doing what's right anyway. Some of the basic advice I was given when I first joined our mission was, you're going to face opposition, you're going to have troubles, people are always going to agree with you. Do what's right and trust God. Do what's right and trust God. Now, with that kind of background in mind, with that situation, both for First John and also that aspect of the Christian life of sometimes those who should encourage you will be the very ones to trouble you in doing good. Let's read Third John. It's a short letter. It's only 15 verses. I'll begin in verse 1 of Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth... Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. And here's that verse I gave the kids. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth, working together with them for the truth. I have written something to the church, and this is a particular local church. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he has done, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to help the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate, follow what is good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, third person in the story, has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. The three people in, the, in this letter, three people mentioned in the story, they are Gaius, who is known to John. He's in this church, and he's the guy who's been criticized, who's been blocked, who's been discouraged and disheartened because of the resistance he's gotten to doing what's right. What's right is to support those who are going out from John and from his circle of churches and continuing to advance the gospel in the face of opposition and a false gospel that has gone forward. So they're being sent out and they're going out, they're, they're, they're speaking the truth, they're preaching Christ. And Gaius in this local church is wanting to help them. And an example of one of those is this man, Demetrius. So Demetrius is one of those who, who has been sent out by John to advance the gospel. Gaius would help people like him, this leader in the church. Maybe he's the pastor. Maybe he's a, a lead elder. We don't know. But he's, a, he's clearly a leader in the church, and he wants to be first in the church. He says, this is my church. I'm in charge here. I'm going to protect it. And we're not letting those people in. We're not helping. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're looking after ourselves here. We've got things here. And he refuses to let Gaius help men like this. He refuses to help Gaius support missionaries like this. And if anybody does behind his back, he threatens to push them out of the church, excommunicate them. That's a pretty serious deal. That's what's going on in Third John. What does Gaius do? What's, what are John's words to Gaius. Now you like to say he could, John could just change it. And John could just make a decree and write a letter. In fact, he has written to Diotrephes, hasn't he? Diotrephes hasn't listened. So what does Gaius do in the meantime? What will you do in the meantime when things aren't right? Because it'll happen. You'll be there. I might be the one to discourage you, and I, might, I, I, I can be such an insensitive loud at times that I might not even know it. And what do you do? Hopefully we can, we can talk about that. But what do you do in the meantime? How will you respond? What John says to, 
to Gaius is keep doing what's right. Keep advancing the gospel. It's right to support those who labor for the truth. Let's, let's, let's lay that down as a fundamental premise of the, of the book of, of Third John. It's right to support those who labor for the church. We do that, labor for the truth. We do that with our missionaries. We think of our, in terms of our missionaries. We want to send them support. The church supports missionaries. We'll talk about the budget this afternoon. There are things going on with missionaries. There are things going on with people who are in outreach ministries in this community. And it's right for us as a church to support them. At the same time, we can, and, and not, merely, not merely financial support, I should say, that we want to come alongside. We, we, we send people to go and help in a, in a project team. We, we encourage people to go alongside and just be alongside those who are away from home for the sake of the gospel, away from their family and friends for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes it's right just to send somebody to just, just be there and be with and check in and encourage it's right to do those things. And we think about missionaries. Uh, this church has a, has a history as well of, of being very gracious and kind toward their pastors. But I want to give you a warning there. And that is it's easy to overlook the ones who aren't pastors. It's easy to overlook the ones who are not missionaries, who have not gone away, but who here are laboring faithfully and diligently to advance the gospel. Sometimes we're hard on our own family. Sometimes we're critical of our own family. And just like we want to support, partner, visit, help, encourage missionaries, we need to help, support, partner, encourage those who right in this church are giving of themselves for the sake of the gospel, are contributing in a way. And our role is not to find fault. Our role is to encourage our role is to help. Our role is to come alongside. Our, our, our role is to, is to catch somebody walking in the truth and encourage them. Lift them up. Bring some joy in the midst of that. Catch someone serving. Send a note. Maybe it's anonymous. Maybe it's not. It doesn't really matter. Send a little note of encouragement. I appreciate what you do and put it in terms of the difference their service makes. You know, we can be serving faithfully in a role after a while and after a while it just seems like nursery is just about nursery. Nursery is just about taking care of babies. You know, it's bigger than that. Nursery is about welcoming a family into our midst that they, 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 the parents will be able to, to sit in the church service and to participate, to stand and sing and to sit and listen, to open their Bible and to, and to look at the page for minutes uninterrupted without the baby's needs or, or, the, or the young child wanting attention. That's, that's a gift and an opportunity that we give by serving in a very hands-on way, for instance, in the nursery. Catch some people doing what's right. Send a note, do some word of appreciation, and, and help them to stretch their vision of the difference what they do makes for the sake of the gospel in others. Let's be that kind of encouraging church. Support those who labor for the truth. And don't stop what's right because someone else is wrong. Look at verses 9 to 11 again. I've written to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. If I come, I'll, be bring, I'll bring up what he's doing. What's he doing? He's talking wicked nonsense. He's, he's slandering others. In fact, he goes so far as to even slander the apostle, so it would seem. 
Not content with that, he refuses to welcome. He refuses to help, and he hinders other people from helping and encouraging and supporting. Keep doing what's right. Now, it's clear Diotrephes is in the wrong. And John says, if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. I'll bring it up. But, but in the meantime, Gaius is to continue doing what's right. Don't give up just because somebody else is in the wrong. It's easily somebody else criticizes. Somebody else uh, um, is a little less gracious than they should have been. Maybe their motives were good, and yet still they were harsh, and you're discouraged, and you want to withdraw. Please, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of others around you, keep doing what's right anyway. Don't let somebody else's fault, don't let somebody else's wrong remove the privilege God has put in your hand to advance the story, the gospel of his son. He's given that to us. Don't let anybody take that out of your hands. We hold that by God's grace. How do I know what's right then? If, if somebody's criticizing, how, how can I know that, no, no, this is, I, what I'm doing is right, and even if I'm getting some, some feedback because of it, I should continue in it. How do I know? Well, what's right agrees with the truth. Uh, look at, there's an example of this in verse 12. He commends Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth. What Demetrius is doing, going out and making disciples of all nations, fits with the truth. What Demetrius is saying and proclaiming, his gospel agrees with the, uh, with the gospel of the apostles. It's the same message that we've had from the beginning. So he's not teaching error like some. He's teaching truth. So supporting him is the right thing to do. The truth tells us what's right to do. Is this that I'm doing, is this that I'm a part of, is it living out love toward others? Is it self-serving? Am I doing this for my own gain? Am I doing this to advance myself? Am I doing this so that what others will think about me? Or am I doing this to give myself for others for the sake of Christ? The measure of love. The same three, the truth, love, obedience that we've seen in John's letters comes into play here as well. That, that um, Demetrius has gone out for the, and he has a good testimony from everyone. He has a good testimony from others because he's been giving himself to others for the truth. And thirdly, I put in here, follows lawful orders. You know, there's, there's a thing in the military that I learned. I did not take an oath when I joined the United States Air Force. I did not take an oath to follow every order I was given. I took an oath to follow every lawful order. None of us are perfect, and so also not the pastors and elders. Diotrephes at times was giving unlawful orders. John said so. And so when Diotrephes is giving unlawful orders, the, the truth John gives Gaius is that he should continue to do what's right anyway. He continue to do what's right. Follow lawful orders. See, Diotrephes does not acknowledge John's authority when he should. I should. I'm accountable to the Apostle John. I'm accountable to Peter. I'm accountable to Paul. What they have said, what God gave them to give to us, I'm accountable to stand in and stay in that truth. I'm accountable. Diotrephes was accountable. There is lawful orders. There is lawful authority, and then there's unlawful orders. 
even if you're a spiritual leader tells you to do something that is, is not right according to what God has said. That's not a lawful order. That I don't obey. That I don't follow. But the balance here is don't let a bad experience there are times in church life, people will leave one church and go to another one. I always encourage people when, that I'm aware of when that's going on. Are there any lingering issues that you need to resolve in the midst of this transition? Whether it's somebody going from here, whether it's somebody coming into this family, are there lingering issues, especially with spiritual leadership in the church that you came from? Or in this church, if you're going if there are, you need to resolve those relationships. You need to resolve those lingering issues because otherwise it will cause you to withdraw slightly, even within your own heart, and you'll, you'll be more guarded. You'll put layers of armor there that will, will um, guard your heart against following future leadership. And we dare not throw out right biblical leadership just because we've been burned. Years ago, Keith Green had a line. He said, he said, you didn't stop eating because mom burned the potatoes, right? We, we, don't, we don't give up on parenting and parenthood, even though there are some bad parents. And sometimes, if you search the news, there will be some examples of awful parents out there. But still, the best we can do, the best model out there is loving parents for their children. We don't give up on parenthood just because it doesn't always go as it should. We don't give up on political authority just because it doesn't always go as it should. Oh, we're tempted to. Why is it only 40% of people vote in elections? Oh, man, this, a big deal is the negative ads, right? The negative ads convince you none of these scoundrels is worth a vote, and we just withdraw. Same thing can happen in the midst of a church family. We just withdraw. We isolate ourselves. We guard our hearts. And when there are things that aren't right, we need to deal with them instead so that they don't fester in there and cause us to withdraw in, into ourselves instead. Don't let a bad experience with authority cause you to give up on authority. To not acknowledge rightful biblical authority is to say that I want to be first. I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to put my own opinion ahead of others. You know, this, this follows into another, another application I wanted to make. Um, is In a church, we need to play by the rules. Another way to put this, boring as it is, is church polity matters. Church government matters. We're having a business meeting today. I kind of thought this was fun that 3rd John came up on the day that we're having our church business meeting because one of the things we do in a church business meeting is we vote on elders and deacons for the year or new, new men that are being added to both of those, of those bodies will be, will be part of the agenda for our business meeting today. These are leaders that we're identifying and setting forward in the church. Leaders that we say then that we will follow their lead. Isn't it interesting that, this, interesting that this comes up? Church polity matters. What I mean by that? For instance, in a local church, there needs to be a, a, a plurality of elders. My role is the pastor. I'm one of the elders. I am, as pastor, one of the elders of the church. I am one of a peer group. We are a team of shepherds. We are equals together. I'm also expected in many ways to lead, to be a catalyst among the elders. 
I also am the pastor, as the pastor, am subordinate to those other elders. I answer to them. They give me direction. I come up with a great idea, and they say, oh, we're not sure. Not sure that's the thing we should do right now. I say, okay, thank you, Lord. Or they come to me and they say, Bob, this is a problem. This is something you need to change. I'm accountable to them. You see how it works? I play three different roles in that authority structure, but, but right authority is for our good. There's a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Turn over there. Talk about not eating because mom burned the potatoes. Look at Hebrews 13 and verse 17. It's interesting, Gaius apparently hadn't given up on spiritual leadership because he's able to receive a letter from John even though he'd been so badly burned by his local church leader, Diotrephes. It says in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Fellow elders, that's our job description. God has given to us the heavy responsibility. It's not a power trip. It's a heavy responsibility to be watching over the souls of others, which implies as well we watch over our own. But we need to, we need to know and nurture and care for the family of God. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account for that. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A, 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 a good family relationship together where we play by the rules together, where we support and encourage one another, and where I look for godly authority that I can also put myself under is a healthy place to be spiritually because all of us are under the Lord's authority. Jesus is the head of the church. And we live that out when we are willingly submit ourselves to Jesus' structure within the church. So a plurality of elders, a recognized leadership that we, who, who are accountable to God themselves and whom we then are willing to make ourselves accountable to, play by the right rules. I, um, in, in the church, it's not only pastors and, and elders have an accountability to one another. The pastors are accountable, accountable to the elders. The elders are also accountable to the church membership. We have membership at Brush Prairie. The members are accountable to one another as well. And you say, oh, you're bringing up membership now. You know, the first... The first century church didn't have church membership on rolls, did they? Well, the first century church didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> the first century church didn't have a Bible in each person's hand, and we do. Membership just gives us a structure in this present society that, that allows us to do things that do hold one another accountable the church members to the leadership and members to one another that are healthy for all of us. And a way of expressing in a consumer-oriented culture, I am committed to this body of believers. This is my spiritual family. And we're going to stick it out even, you know, I'm going, I'm going to, um, I mentioned it'll be the first time in 10 years that me and my three, my three sisters have all been together. 
And uh, you can guess, well, if that's the case, there are probably some background relational issues in that family that have caused us to not find a way to somehow all be together happily summer after summer, right? There probably are. It's probably that way in your family to some extent as well. And yet, and yet, we are still family. I want us to be able to be together. I want those in my family that don't know Christ also to know. I'm not going to push him down their throats because that doesn't work. And yet I want to represent Christ well to them. And I want to love them. Why? Because these are my sisters. I didn't pick them. In fact, they came first. I had nothing to do with it. And yet they're still, I would have picked different ones, frankly. Now don't put that on the tape. But they're mine. And so are you. One another's. Yeah. God has done this. And we will thank him for it and we will live in it. So that leads me to the last one. Bless one another personally. Look at verse 15. I had much to write to you. I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. You're going to have that opportunity over dinner real soon because I'm going to stop real soon. You have an opportunity to do that over a church dinner together. Sit with somebody else. Sit with somebody different or cross from somebody different at that table. Don't just... Golden airs, if I see you just all around together, I'm going to break it up. Okay? Come on, I know who your friends are, and you're going to be... No, let, 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 learn somebody else's story. It might be the story of how they came to know Jesus. It might be the story of how God brought them to Brush Prairie. It might be the story of something going on in their life. Learn somebody else's story. Step into it with them. Let's greet one another face to face in a way that goes far beyond good morning. How are you? Glad that you're here. I am glad that you're here because to some extent I know you. I want to know you more, but far more importantly than that is that you know one another more and can uphold one another more and can encourage one another more in doing what's right because there's always going to be somebody out there ready to discourage you. That'll always happen, right? So we need to be, we need to focus, we need to be intentional about how will we encourage one another in doing what's right in, a, in the midst of a world that's wrong. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says this, God is not unjust. Other people will be. You will not get recognized. You, people will not value what you do. Near, people will not care for you the way that they should. But God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and labor of love and what you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. What is he saying? I could have said that in fewer words. Keep going. Keep going so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Keep doing what's right. Advance the gospel. Don't be discouraged by critics, and don't be a discouraging critic. Contribute, don't critique. Pull together. Encourage one another. Encourage your leaders. Follow them and bless one another. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for a practical word from a little letter that was from John to one man. One man in a church who mattered. He wasn't in leadership. He was a willing and humble servant. And you singled him out to John. And you've singled him out as well to us. Lord, you know each one here. You, are, you do not overlook anyone here's service. And Father, I pray that you would spur within your body, Lord, that insight that we would not overlook one another either. That we would be our Father's children and that we would see what you see, at least some of it, near to us. Father, the way that we want to love and encourage and support, help missionaries far away. Would you cause us as a church body to be a, a family that loves, supports, encourages, and helps missionaries right here? Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for binding us together as your family. Thank you for giving us together your gospel. Lord, by your grace, help us to show it to one another, to the people around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, Amen.